Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. It's the summer of 2008, and Andre Kaplan is summoned by his older brother Dima to come immediately to Moscow and take care of their aging grandmother. Andre is 33, his girlfriend has just dumped him, and the only job he's been able to find since completing his PhD is teaching an online, poorly paid course. When Dima promises to buy him a round-trip ticket, get him into a hockey league, and give him his old bedroom with free Wi-Fi, Andre agrees. He hopes his grandmother will tell him stories of Soviet times on which he can base a scholarly article that will help him land a job in the States. He imagines himself protesting the Putin regime in the morning, playing hockey in the afternoon, and keeping his grandmother company in the evening. But his stay in Russia becomes something more than he bargained for. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host of New Books and Literature for the New Books Network. And I'm talking to Keith Gesson, founding editor of the brilliant literary magazine N Plus One, translator of several books and an oral history, and author of All the Sad Young Literary Men. Today we're discussing his new novel, A Terrible Country, about a young man who goes to take care of his ailing grandmother and learns a thing or two about life about himself, the world, and much more. Hi, Keith, and thank you for joining me today. Uh, Thank you for having me. Very happy to be here. Great. So could you start by talking a bit about yourself? Tell us what you're passionate about and how you came to write A Terrible Country. Uh, Sure. um, So I was born in Russia in what was then the Soviet Union, and um, my parents uh, immigrated with me and my older sister in 1981 when I was six. Um, and I grew up outside of Boston and I I grew up in a kind of, um, I guess, a kind of double world. Uh, I felt like my parents were sending me slightly mixed signals about Russia. Uh, on the one hand, um, it was a terrible place that we had left because People were mean to us, um, and uh, we should forget all about it. On the other hand, um, it was the source of all enlightenment and culture. Uh, you know, all the books that my parents read and discussed and referenced. And you know, um, if there was a Russian moving movie showing in uh, a movie theater, you know, in, in downtown Boston or in Brookline, that was a big night out for us. Um, So, you know, on the one hand, they hated Russia as it then was, but they loved Russian culture and kind of were attached to Russia in all these ways. Um, And, you know, for kind of most of my childhood, I uh, I definitely took the the second, um, uh, or or rather the first, the, the first message to be the primary one, which was that we had left. And I, uh, you know, I felt like 
and I say this in the book, you know, I felt like we had, um, my parents had immigrated to America, but only to the Russia that existed inside of America. And that kind of the job for me and my sister would be to emigrate into America itself. And, you know, I took that pretty seriously. Um, and then, uh, I guess a, a couple of things happened. One was that my mom died when, um, when I was in high school, toward the end of high school, before I became a senior. Um, and then I went off to college. And kind of those two things happening in proximity to one another. Uh, my mom was the main sort of connection uh, culturally between us and Russia. She was a literary critic. Um, she worked at the Russian Research Center at Harvard. Uh, and, um, you know, kind of losing that connection um was uh, something that I, you know, felt very keenly. Um, then I got to rush. I got to get to college, and um, you know, it was, it was a kind of big place. It was an intimidating place. Um, there were a lot of people there who knew exactly what they were doing and, and uh, what they were going to do with their lives, and I was less sure. Um, and so I ended up sort of, kind of wandering into the Slavic department. Um, I have to say, um, since I'm on the New Books Network, uh, my first um, teacher in uh, the Slavic department was Marshall Poe, ah. founder of the New Books Network, um, on which this podcast appears. So, um, yeah, I actually I took a seminar with Marshall and Svetlana Boim. Um, and, um, you know, the, it was in the history and literature department and they would, uh, the way they would do it is they would have a historian and a a literary scholar, um, teach, uh, this kind of small seminar and, um, you know, Marshall, um, uh, is this sort of big guy with a booming voice, uh, very American, um, who worked on medieval Russian history. <laughs> and um, Svetlana Boyam was a very elegant um, uh, Russian Jewish emigre who worked on the, you know, Russian and Soviet avant-garde. And, um, you know, two very different people, two very different approaches, um, but both of them, you know, really brilliant. And um, it was just incredibly uh, intellectually stimulating, but also it was kind of personally, uh, I just kind of felt like I belonged there. Um, and, and then I started going over to Russia, um, for, and I went over for my junior year abroad. Um, and that was a very powerful experience. And it was kind of a personally powerful experience because so many of the things that had been weird or mysterious or embarrassing about my parents growing up, um, sort of became more comprehensible to me when I was over there um, and kind of walking around the, you know, places that they had uh, grown up and, and, you know, um, spending time with um, their mothers uh, who were still alive, uh, my grandmothers. Um, And also it was kind of a politically uh, enlightening um, moment for me. I didn't have a strong... Kind of political view of the world. I, you know, uh, was a young person at a kind of liberal arts 
university in the 1990s. So, um, you know, I was kind of a liberal, but I um, had grown up in this very anti-Soviet household. And so um, I'd inherited a kind of skepticism of uh, leftism and socialism. Um, and I thought Americans who espoused it were naive. Um, and then kind of going over to Russia in the mid-90s when it was falling apart uh, and where capitalism was really kind of running rampant and, uh, you know, allowed to do whatever it pleased and um, in the process, you know, destroy millions of lives. Um, that was really eye-opening for me. Um, and, you know, it took a little while, but I kind of, you know, I began to question whether you know, capitalism was such a great thing. Um, and, uh, you know, I began to wonder whether the so-called Russian transition was headed in the right direction, um, you know, whether it was a good idea. Um, it certainly it was uh, having human costs well beyond what was being, you know, kind of discussed in the Western press, uh, as far as I could tell. So um, that was kind of my, I guess, my background in Russia stuff. And, and so since then, I've been going over a fair amount, um, you know, living there for periods of time, um, you know, translating books, writing articles. And then in um, 2008, I, uh, I, my, I, my first book had come out and I was kind of a little bit at uh, loose ends and... Um, uh, I had this opportunity to go over to Moscow and take care of my grandmother uh, for a year. Um, and I went and did that. It was a, uh, it was a really kind of, it was a very intense experience. She was uh, losing her memory. She, she was losing her hearing. Um, she had lost uh, the vast majority of her friends either to, immigration or to uh, you know, old age and death. Um, so uh, spending that year with her, uh, it was very difficult. Um, it was also uh, very wonderful. Um, and then at the end of it, I had to leave. Uh, and um, when I got back, uh, you know, kind of while it was happening, I, I, I really didn't think of it as something that I was going to write about. It was, you know, it was too... It was too difficult. It was too painful. Um, I was too wrapped up in it. I, it wasn't really um, something that I was thinking about as, as kind of material for, for literature. But then I got home and I was like, oh, that was a really uh, powerful experience that I would like to somehow get down on paper. So I started writing about it and um, kind of the initial idea for the book was that it would be uh, – you know, kind of description of this year spent with, you know, uh, th that the narrator um, kind of stand-in character for me uh, spends with his grandmother, uh, but also a kind of denunciation of Russian capitalism. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it had these two goals of, of uh, you know, um, uh, these two things that it wanted to cover. Uh, and so for a while it was kind of an unsuccessful, much too long uh, combination of these two different books. Um, and it took, you know, it took, uh, it took 
an embarrassingly long time for me to figure out that actually, um, you know, the grandmother's story, as I had, you know, begun to increasingly sort of fictionalize it, um, that that story actually t- made the case against Russian capitalism about as well as you could make it. Um, and that, you know, really the book needed to, um, you know, have her at the kind of heart of it and then, you know, branch out as, as, as necessary or as possible into kind of other things. Um, wow. There is so much here to talk about. So, and it really clears up a lot now that I understand that uh, Andre is based on you. He was also six when his mother brought him and his brother to the States, although you had a sister and he describes himself as basically Russian. Is that how you felt also? I think at other points he describes himself as basically American. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, um, his, uh, yeah, his feelings of, um, kind of, I don't know, homelessness or, or, uh, belonging to two places, um, or, you know, some, sometimes belonging uh, more to Russia and other times to, more to his adopted homeland of America. Yeah. That's certainly, um, that is my experience, and and uh, you know, I mean, every time, every time I go to, to Russia, I, 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 you know, have this kind of dual experience of, on the one hand, feeling like, oh, <laughs> here is, here's where I belong. Here's this food that I know and that I ate growing up, and here's the language that I spoke with my parents, and um, you know, they care about. Uh, things that I care about, like Russian literature and history. Um, and then, uh, well, actually the first, actually the first experience of arriving in Russia is always kind of uh, what's, what is wrong with these people? Why do they do things like this? <laughs> um, why is everything so, uh, inconvenient? Right. So I, I, I my first reaction, I was a very American reaction. And then after a little while, I, uh, I kind of settle into the rhythm of life there. And I, I think, how could anyone live anywhere else? Oh, uh, um, yeah. I mean, or, you know, uh, it, you know, uh, and it's, it's hard to, you know, everybody remarks on this. I don't really have a, an explanation for it, but you know, you do have intensity, a kind of intensity of relationships and experience there that, um, I have not had as much, uh, you know, in America, Uh, I I think just, you know, just the kind of day-to-day difficulty of doing stuff, Um, you know, just the kind of, and the, uh, just how hard life is there and how many people have had bad things happen to them. Um, It it does serve to kind of bring people closer together. So when Andre first arrives in Moscow, his first thought while he's still at passport control was something about how he had no rights in Russia. Did, did you feel mm-hmm. that way? Is that is that typical? What did he mean? Oh, I mean, you just, well, he's not a citizen of Russia. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, the, the kind of first couple of chapters or, you know, um, he expects, you know, it's partly about how he expects to discover this police state. Um, and, you know, he does, but it's, it's, you know, it's quite a bit different from what he expected, right? Everybody's sitting around, you know, drinking expensive coffee. 
Um, but in terms of rights, yeah, I mean, he, well, he, he kind of, uh, in the most basic sense, doesn't have rights because he's not a citizen. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and the Russian state, um, even if he were a citizen, right, um, uh, is, is not, uh, does not stand on legal ceremony with a lot of people. So, uh, sure. Yeah. So, so you had two grandmothers to visit and Andre's grandmother, Baba Sieva, is pretty complicated. He has a complicated relationship with her. Um, she also has issues of dementia, as did your grandmother. And she has an interesting history as a translator, was it, who led an active life before the dementia set in when she was about 90. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the part, I was really intrigued by the part how she kept on bringing up the loss of all her friends and the loss of her dacha. And how uh, her Dacha, best friend yes. Dacha and her best friend doesn't invite her. That, that's a bit that goes throughout the book, right? Did you come across something like that in your family? Um, uh, yeah, a little bit. Yep. <laughs> um, we uh, um, something like that. I mean, um, you know, all this stuff. Uh, let me answer a slightly different question <laughs> or a more general question. I mean, um, you know, uh, you sort of, uh, you know, they're different, different um, writers work different ways. I mean, I tend to, or at least with this material, I kind of started with what actually happened and then um, looked at it and, and said, ah, you know, that's not interesting enough or that doesn't, it's too, um, it's too disconnected from other stuff. I mean, one of the, you know, life is kind of, you know, over the course of a life, you have a kind of story, right. That emerges, but life is very long. And, um, the kind of time frame of this novel is one year. Um, so things had to make sense in the course of that year. If, if, uh, if that makes sense, what I'm saying. Um, yeah, yeah, but so I'm, had, interested, you know, I'm interested, I'm yes. interested in the fact that she keeps talking about the dacha and how upset she yeah. is that she doesn't have it. Yeah, but how they how she got it in the first place, and how they got this fabulous apartment where Andre is staying, and uh-huh. okay. how they lost the dacha—that's pretty interesting and unusual—and says something about Russia. Right. Okay. So that's yeah. That's not. Um, are you asking if that's autobiographical? Or no, you don't no. have to answer okay. that. Sure. Um, <laughs> it's just, yeah. It's no. It's an right. interesting <laughs> phenomenon. Um, yes, and um, right. So my grandmother. Um, actually, uh, you know, received an apartment because her husband was in the Soviet Writers Union. So it's not quite as dramatic as um, in the book. Um, but, you know, most people uh, in the Soviet Union received their apartments from the state. I mean, that's how it worked. Um, and so you had this, you know, d- depending on um, what your field of activity was, you, you got a better or worse apartment. Um, and you might feel more or less kind of guilty about it. Um, certainly, you know, um, the grandmother in this book, uh, like my grandmother, you know, um, hated the Soviet Union, right? So, uh, if you were going to set out to write a, a book about how someone in the kind of post-Soviet era was left behind. You, you know, if you were starting from scratch, you might um, 
pick a party member, right? And, uh, you know, a true believer who um, had worked their whole life to build uh, the Soviet uh, dream and uh, then it all collapsed and fell apart and uh, now they're, um, you know, don't know what to do with themselves. Uh, you know, in in the case of my grandmother, and, and I thought this was actually in a way more interesting, I mean, she hated the Soviet Union. Um, she was very happy when it fell apart. Um, it had uh, deprived her of her only daughter, um, you know, who, who emigrated uh, uh, to America. Um, and yet she too, um, like this kind of true believing Communist Party member that uh, we, we just imagined, I mean, she lost, she lost her life savings. Um, she did not actually have a doctor to lose, <laughs> but she, um, I think she lost her, um, in the sense of herself in the world. Hmm. Um, certainly her, you know, her husband's research institute fell apart. Um, you know, it was just, there was a kind of, you know, economic toll that is really significant. Um, there's a psychological toll too, even upon people who, um, actually, uh, you know, kind of were, uh, uh, against the Soviet Union and, and were happy that, that it no longer existed. Um, and, you know, I just, that, that kind of image that I, I you know, it comes up uh, a, a fair amount in the book and, um, that really stuck with me, uh, from my time with her is just kind of the image of this person who still lives in the center of Moscow, but is one of the only sort of people from that generation remaining. And she's kind of walking around, um, through what is kind of remains of the Soviet Union um, in her neighborhood. And, you know, she's like a ghost that is haunting sort of post-Soviet Moscow. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is, uh, that was very much, you know, the, the kind of impression that I got from my time with her. Andre is, uh talks a lot about how the men in Moscow are all huge, kasha-fed, unsmiling, and the women are all beautiful and thin and wearing high heels, and how everyone is white. There's very little ethnic diversity. This was, uh, the book was set in 2008. And mm -hmm. have you been back since then? And is it still the same? Oh, uh, sure. I mean, it's, you know, it's, um, I think of it as a kind of a graph um, in terms of um, just, you know, uh, um, the Moscow's amenities um, versus um, sort of political freedoms, right? So if in um, the kind of mid-90s, mid to late-90s, when I started going over there, um, you know, Moscow had no amenities, like no, literally no place to sit down and have a cup of coffee, um, zero places. Um, but there were a lot of political freedoms, right? Um, you know, since then, uh, the kind of amenities have really increased, you know, year on year, <laughs> um, and continue to increase, um, and political freedoms have decreased, um, oh. and continue to decrease. So, um, and 2008 is sort of in the middle of that, you know, if you go from 98 to 2018 and 2008, you know, is in the middle of that both, you know, in time wise, but also just kind of in the development of these processes. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was there, 
I guess, you know, in this past winter. And I was shocked again, um, kind of shocked anew, as Andre is shocked in the book by how nice it was. <laughs> um, I mean, Moscow is beautiful right now. They've done, they've knocked down a bunch of ugly stuff. Um, the, you know, um, the, they've opened more affordable cafes the ruble has collapsed so it's nice for a tourist um and you know but political freedoms are kind of at their lowest um Mm -hmm. uh point you know but yeah so you you come to moscow and you see um all these russians kind of um you know in a pretty good mood um uh certainly kind of when you're out in public right and everybody's just you know sitting and having a coffee um and in a way, if you don't turn on TV, right, you can kind of live in this um, fantasy Moscow of kind of everything's great. <laughs> and then as soon as you turn on to the TV, it's, um, you know, pretty, uh, you know, kind of state propaganda laying it on pretty thick. Um, so. Andre yeah. is really, a, he's a kind of a sad sack a little bit of a character and his biggest challenge he says is finding wi-fi and then he has this really funny experience uh trying to date trying to meet a woman and one of them turns out to be a prostitute i thought that was hysterical based on reality Uh (laughs) um well it's um uh i did have trouble getting wi-fi in my apartment okay that part of the question you answered. Okay. No, yeah, no. Let's talk about Andre's brother, Dima. He escaped to London when his attempt to expand his gas station business earned him some enemies. And then he's putting, he's giving Andre errands to do. So it's sort of like he's putting his little brother in some kind of danger. What's going on there? Um, yeah, he's um, you know, he's a kind of a mover and shaker and manipulator, and he is very much the kind of opposite of his younger brother, who is, um, yeah, a bit of a loser, hasn't quite found uh, his way in the world. Um, you know, they are, uh, you know, Andre kind of starts out being very disapproving of. Of, uh, of Dima um, and you know eventually uh, you know the, the Dima character um, I had thought of him as well you know uh, we, we haven't got into it but you know uh, the grandmother has this apartment in central Moscow that um, as you alluded to she got from Stalin um, and Dima who has run into legal trouble wants her to sell the apartment uh, so partly so that he can pay his lawyers, um, and Andre's opposed to this. Um, and that was in the book very early on. And, and I had always, um, thought that I was basing it on the cherry orchard huh. where, uh, Lepachin, uh, the businessman and friend of the family wants them to, um, wants this you know, old aristocratic family to, um, turn the, to chop down the cherry orchard and turn it into vacation rentals. <laughs> Um, to save the family estate, right? Because they have no cash flow otherwise. Um, and um, I had always thought that Lopachin was evil, right? And um, a friend of mine, 
um, who uh, a friend of mine who I was reading kind of early um, chapters of the book and um, who, uh, you know, has uh, kind of a lot of experience in theater, Erica Rosenblum, um, he said, you know, you should go and read The Cherry Orchard. It's not as you remember it. And I did. I went I read The Cherry Orchard. Didn't take very long. Um, and, you know, it, it turns out Lepakin actually is right. Um, and he's actually trying to help them, the family. Um, so that was a kind of critical, uh, point in the creation of the Dima character where I, um, kind of dialed it back a little bit and, and, um, made the apartment decision a little more, um, on the shoulders of Andre. Um, and so, yeah, so Dima, Dima emerged, uh, after my reading of the cherry orchard as a slightly more complicated character i mean he's someone who got went over to russia to try to make his fortune um and but also kind of talked a lot as these people did about how he was actually um building democracy right and uh, capitalism and democracy go hand in hand um and you know andre questions whether that was the true motivation and whether dima didn't actually want to just make a uh some money and you know we, that's kind of unresolved um but within the family, um, Dima drives a hard bargain, but not necessarily a, a kind of demonic one. No, and Andre Andre loves him. The real bad guy in the in the book is his academic nemesis, Boris Fishman. And oh, Boris is Alex, <laughs> sorry, Alex Fishman. Alex oh, Fishman. Right, Alex Fishman, and Alex is Boris more. Boris Fishman ex- is a contemporary writer. Yes. Oops. Oh, you're right. Oops. <laughs> um, I should have written that down. And. Um, Alex is more successful because he doesn't have the integrity that Andre has, right? Tell, let, tell us more about that. Uh, yeah, so Andre likes to think. So he likes right? to think. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, um, Fishman is a guy who's always talking about uh, totalitarianism and uh, Russia's, uh, you know, eternal kind of totalitarianism. He's he's into the digital humanities, um, as they're called uh, these days, as the internet is known now on campus. Um, so, you know, he's just this guy. He's good at getting grants. He's a real networker. He goes to all the events. You know, then he, um, you know, if a, a professor comes to speak at their a kind of uh, a well-known, you know, professor comes to speak at their graduate program. Um, Fishman will then go and write a blog post about how wonderful this professor is, um, you know, as a way of sort of kissing up. Uh, and um, yeah, that was an interesting, that's an interesting character because, you know, to some extent, um, you know, these characters are kind of based, um, you know, some of them are, are based on, on, uh, uh, on real people, certainly the grandmother and Andres, you know, sort of based on me. Um, but uh, Fishman is a made-up character, <laughs> uh, start to finish. But um, a lot of people have come up to me and said, "Oh, I know who Fishman is." Oh, uh, X. <laughs> yes. So I've learned, I've learned what a lot of people think of, you know, X and Y and and, mm-hmm. and various people who they think are the inspiration for Fishman. But um, so that's very funny, actually. And then we need to talk about Yulia. And, oh, Yulia, and the connection, how she brings Andre into the October group. 
Right. So, so Andre, um, you know, he spends uh, the first, uh, you know, third or half of the book being kind of confused, uh, depressed, um, can't really, uh, he's not doing a great job of taking care of his grandmother. Um, he had hoped to uh, find a kind of a topic for his academic uh, article um, in Moscow, and he has failed to do that. Um, can't get a date, as, uh, as you mentioned. Um, and, uh, yeah, then he, um, actually, um, through, um, uh, he goes to a dinner party with some expat, uh, uh, academics like himself and actually Fishman is at the party and he, he, you know, kind of, um, embarrasses himself and, uh, you know, yells at Fishman, uh, demands what Fishman has done for Russia, but, um, in a kind of, you know, Dostoevskian way and Fishman just kind of laughs it off and Andre has to leave in, in disgrace. Um, and, um, but then subsequently there's this, um, you know, uh, young woman there who, uh, writes to him and, and, uh, named Yulia who says, you know, do you want to come to this event we're doing at a bookstore, um, and talk about, uh, you know, American neoliberal education, um, and so this kind of embarrassing incident, um, uh, with involving Fishman actually leads Andre, uh, to, to meet this, uh, group of young people called October, um, that is, um, kind of trying to rejuvenate socialism, uh, in, uh, in Russia. And, um, he really is taken with them, um, in part because, uh, they, sort of explain to him um, or, or they make, you know, the, their ideas kind of clarify for him uh, the fate of his grandmother um, who really has been left behind by the post-Soviet reforms. And, um, you know, uh, this kind of, he hadn't had a kind of a intellectual uh, framework for understanding uh, what had happened to her, you know, outside of just her individual story, but um, kind of these young Marxists uh, sort of um, explain it to him, and, and uh, he thinks they're right. So he um, he joins October, and then of course adventures uh, ensue. What does Andre learn about Russia being a repressive government? Well, uh, the people of October would say, um, you know, he expects, I mean, so the initial shock uh, uh, of Andre when he arrives, and, you know, this is very much based on kind of my own experiences of, of visiting Russia over the years, is it's a very different repressive government from the one he expected. Um, you know, this is a... a uh, a country that resembles, um, it, it looks less like the Soviet Union than it does like Saudi Arabia, right? Or um, Turkey, um, uh, or a kind of um, Latin American dictatorship, right, in the 70s. Mm -hmm. So um, not, you know, its problems do not stem from an excess of socialism, but actually an excess of kind of um, uh, unequally distributed wealth, right? And uh, in a situation of unequally distributed wealth, um, in order to keep people from, you know, 
going on strike, um, uh, uh, talking out loud about how dissatisfied they are um, with the situation, um, you know, you re- resort to repression. Um, so as one of the characters says in the book, I mean, this is, um, this is not what a socialist state looks like. This is what a, um, a capitalist state looks like on the periphery of the world system. So, um, you know, that's, uh, so he learned, you know, that this is, um, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He talks about a lot about, um, about it being a repressive government. Another thing he talks about a lot is hockey. And while he's having all these terrible weaknesses and not getting through to anyone. He's also found a couple of hockey games, but he's playing really badly. That was pretty funny. A lot of fun <laughs> games. Um, yeah, well, I, I am a hockey uh, fanatic. Um, uh, in the book, I mean, it, I felt like um, Andre needed something to do, uh, but it also kind of put him in touch with a slightly different a uh, group of people, um, you know, this, these are, uh, the hockey guys, right? I mean, so he comes from, uh, Andre comes from a kind of academic, um, background, his kind of acquaintances are sort of expat, uh, academics or journalists. Um, his grandmother comes from this kind of, um, Moscow intelligentsia milieu, um, whereas the hockey guys are just kind of like business guys. Um, some of them work in finance, some of them are just kind of own businesses. Um, and they form the kind of, um, you know, pro Putin middle class. Um, and, you know, they, you know, they actually don't like Putin on a personal level, um, but they tolerate him. Uh, they have done very well, um, kind of under the post-Soviet system uh, through their kind of uh, resourcefulness, their aggressiveness. Um, uh, but, they're, you know, they, it, it puts Andre in, in touch with a kind of different uh, group of people who um, I, I hope make the book kind of more lively. I was amused. Yeah. It did. And I was amused that when he joins the reading group, his, and this is a quote from you, his total lack of knowledge about Marx and Marxism was chalked up to a general American ignorance of everything. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, yeah, Russians think Americans are dumb. Hmm. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, not um, as a rule. Yeah, they, they you know, there isn't... Um, you know, I, I encountered this more in the kind of early 90s, mid 90s. And, um, you know, you would go over there. And people would demand to know, you know, which books you had read. And um, part of it was uh, part of it was that Russians had read a, a lot of books. <laughs> right. I mean, people it was a very um, literary or kind of logocentric culture. Right. Um, there weren't a lot of other kind of entertainments. Um, so people did really read a lot. Um, there was also, you know, I think there was also kind of an issue of they had a slightly narrower idea of the canon than we did in the States. So um, I remember a, um, 
a uh, one of my relatives being scandalized upon meeting uh, an American academic who studied Russian literature but had never read Dostoevsky. Mm. Um, you know, and like you can, it, it is a little weird how we do that. Like, I mean, you, it's it's actually kind of hard to imagine that, but you can see how that could happen. You know, given just the way that um, you know in academic life you really specialize a lot in the U.S. Uh, and you become a really kind of narrow expert on. Um, I don't know. Chekhov. <laughs> right. Yeah, Chekhov. Um, right. And, and you, you know, and you, you have these kind of blind spots, right? Um, but, uh, yeah, within, you know, and, but the reason, of course, Andre is, um, feels like he's getting away with something there is that, um, actually, you know, if you were a grad student in the, um, you know, the aughts, as he was, like the late 90s, you know, early aughts, um, in fact, um, now there was a ton of Marxism and, um, you know, certainly in kind of your, uh, you know, Ivy League or, you know, kind of urban uh, universities um, and in the U.S. And, you know, the only reason um, Andre has managed to remain ignorant of it is that he's in the Slavic department, which kind of, you know, has traditionally kept those things, um, has kept kind of Marxism um, at a bit of more arm's length than, say, the English department or the French department uh, or even the German department, um, you know, largely because uh, of the experience of communism, um, also because they were staffed by people who, you know, came out of that experience um, and, you know, weren't that interested in Marxism. Mm. He's um, fluent in Russian as you are, but he constantly worries about making mistakes, which he then does. Mm-hmm. And he, he worries always about, uh, specifically about how to address people, which is in some languages, it's clear. Um, so th- I felt like the role of language is almost like another character. He talks about it incessantly. Is that how you felt too? or where that Yeah, happened? I mean, sure. I, I did, um, you know, my uh, part of it was, yeah. So, um, you know, in Russian, uh, there's the polite form uh, of you, the, and there's the, I mean, sorry, there's the uh, familiar form of, of you, which is the, and the, and the polite form, which is we. Right. So uh, your friends, your family, you say, the, um, you know, people that you just kind of encounter on the street or who are kind of older uh, or need to be addressed respectfully, you say, we. Um, and that, you know, has changed a great deal, um, you know, even kind of in the last 20 years. Um, and um, Andre kind of and I also, um, you know, aren't, aren't really. Um, don't really know uh, how to navigate that. Like, so, you know, I, growing up, my parents basically said we to everyone, right? Mm -hmm. They were very, um, you know, I mean, some of their close friends, they said the, but everybody else was we, right? And that was a kind of mark of their being kind of, you know, um, from the intelligentsia, right? Um, uh, You know, there there are people, I think in, um, you know, in, uh, imperial Russia, if you were from like an aristocratic family, you would say we to your father, right? To your parents. <laughs> so that, you know, so anyway, um, uh, and, and yeah, so that, that kind of, that has changed a great deal by the time Andre shows up. Um, but he's not sure. Um, and this kind of marks him off as foreign more than, um, his accent, which basically doesn't exist. Um, and, you know, but he, and he's constantly kind of, 
Um, it's a weird, yeah, he, he feels in between. If he was just an American there and he just had an accent, then, you know, that was fine because he's an American. Um, uh, but he's this person who, who basically speaks uh, Russian in a way that's indistinguishable. Uh, and yet here and there he'll, he'll um, you know, do the ending of a word wrong or kind of stress, put a stress on the wrong syllable. And it kind of gives him away as being... Uh, not from around here. Um, and he remains worried about that kind of um, almost till the end. But then as he kind of becomes more comfortable um, in Russia, he he stops worrying about it so much. You know, Keith, I loved your book. I It was a, a wonderful read. I learned a lot and it, I laughed and there was just, a, it, there was a lot to it. It's a rich, wonderful book. And I'm I've taken up a lot of your time, so I'm going to now ask you the traditional new books question. What are you working on now? Oh, man. <laughs> you know, you're supposed to you're supposed to um, have a new book that you're working on um, uh, when, you're, when your old book comes out. Um, that's the advice that wise people have given me, but I've never uh, managed to do it. I can't figure it out. Um, and um, I am still uh, still trying to figure out what my next uh, my next book is. I've been very wrapped up in um, you know talking about this one. But you're teaching. I am. I'm, I still, teach uh, journalism. Yeah. Um, you still have your magazine, your online journal. Uh, yes, I still. I uh, you know I'm I'm a little less involved with N plus one. Um, uh, which is also a print journal, both print and online. Mm. Um, um, yeah, and we just had our second uh, kid a few months ago, our second boy. So um, thank you. A lot of um, uh, I'm trying to be helpful around the house. Um, and uh, yeah, so um, but I'm, uh, I'm still uh, looking around uh, for um, my next project. But, you know, that's... Um, that's about, uh, it took me about a year after my, or a year and a half after my book, um, my first book came out to, to start working on this one. So, Well, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your time with me, Keith. It has been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And thank you for listening to this podcast from the New Books Network. Once again, I'm GP Gottlieb, host of New Books and Literature. And today I've been talking with Keith Gesson about his novel, A Terrible Country. Join the New Books.